y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the show, NPR reporters Julia Furlan and Sarah Gonzalez. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all, from NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Happy weekend, and welcome to my two guests, Julia Furlan, reporter and host at NPR, Sarah Gonzalez, reporter for NPR's Planet Money. Y'all are both in New York. Thanks for uh, joining Thank me. Thank you. It's Thanks, great to Sam. be here. I'm glad y'all are here. You hear the song I'm playing? Where they look mm-hmm. Yes. It's this band that I'm kind of into right now. They're called Greta Van Fleet. You guys heard of them? Yeah, I've heard of them, but I haven't heard this song. It's great. It's called Black Smoke Rising, and I'm just like, these guys got it. Great mm. name. Yeah. Right? And so Ooh. the dude, like the lead singer, he looks like he's 11, but he has <laughs> these pipes. Yeah. I'm actually going to hear it come in at the chorus right here. Yeah. So this band, Greta Van Fleet, they're having a really good week because they are up for a few Grammy Awards, including Best New Artist at the Grammys this weekend. Um, But the Grammys aren't doing so well themselves. Last year, the awards show had six million fewer viewers than the year before. Folks think the ratings will also be bad this year. And it's kind of like this is a weird time for award shows, no? Right. I agree. I feel like everybody like has realized that the jig is up. They're like, oh, yeah, celebrities, fancy dresses, no, no, no. I already saw that on Instagram. I don't need to tune in. It's yeah. all about the pre-show, for sure. Yeah. Exactly. And also, these award shows are too long. Grammys mm. are over three hours. Oscars are over three hours. The Oscars can't even find a host. They announced they this week they're not going to have a host for the first they time in 30 even, years. Right. They don't even have a host. You know what, Sam? I, I will put you in. I would. You're like, Let's start voting right now. Everybody who's listening to this show, vote for Sam as the host of the Oscars. Let me tell you what I would do if I were the host of the Oscars. What? Or the Grammys. I Cardi would... B all, Cardi B the whole time. <laughs> yes, Cardi B. But also, <laughs> I would go to the front, to the mic, read the awards winners really quickly, and then be like, we're done. Go to the bar. Like, don't even come on stage. Just everyone take a it's shot. Just, it already seems sad. Like, Kendrick Lamar and Drake and Childish Gambino are not going to perform. Ariana Grande and Taylor Swift aren't even going. Like, what? at this point, why are you still doing award shows like the Grammys? I feel like I can hardly even talk about it right now because I'm like, what, what do I feel about the Grammys? I, I don't want to watch them. That's how I feel. I'm, I'm totally on a different page than you guys. I'm like, this is the time of Latin trap mm. and yeah. I'm here for it. Will you guys watch it? No. No. <laughs> yeah, no. All that talk. I'll watch the performances online. But see, that's the thing. I'll like catch the recaps and the red carpet the next day. Exactly. Anyway, we're going to start our week as we always do. I'm going to ask each of my guests to describe their week of news in only three words. Sarah, you've been telling us all week that one story has really been on your mind. What is that story? What are your three words? Okay, my three words are cocaine, <laughs> submarines, jalapenos. And I am obviously. <laughs> Obviously, I'm talking about the trial of Joaquin Guzman Loera, better known as El Chapo, which means shorty. He's been on trial for the past three months, accused of being the leader of the Sinaloa drug cartel. Mm. So for the past three months, Mm -hmm. New York has been shutting down the Brooklyn Bridge. Because they have him now. Because they have him. They had him in custody for a while now while he's on trial in a U.S. courthouse. 
Yeah, so he's in a prison in Manhattan, but his court is in Brooklyn. So every time he goes to court... Reverse commute, it's not bad. (laughs) He's beating the traffic. He's beating the traffic. Uh, But yeah, but they shut down the Brooklyn Bridge, which is just like kind of like wild. Wow. And this week, the jury has started to deliberate. They did not reach a verdict, so the deliberations are going to continue next week. And in case you have not been following along, I just feel like I should... Highlight some of the crazy things that Do we have it. learned. Do it. Okay, great, yes. great. These yes. are like hinting Fill at my in. three words. Please. <laughs> okay. okay, so the people who testified against El Chapo told us all kinds of crazy ways that El Chapo smuggled drugs into the United States and drug money out of the United States. We yeah. heard from people who used to work with El Chapo saying, telling us how they use submarines to transport cocaine. So like real submarines submerged underwater filled with drugs. Okay, how many El Chapo movies are there going to be? Well, there's already there's a Netflix series, <laughs> Narcos yeah. Mexico, yeah. which is about El Chapo. Um, another just like quick, quick, crazy story, um, just getting at my, one of my words. There's a guy named, or that is called El Gordo, which mm-hmm. is the chubby one. Mm-hmm. And he said that they smuggle drugs into the United States through tin jalapeno cans. I saw that. You I did. Saw okay, that. right. Yeah. So they basically created, and the cartel apparently created like some kind of substance using gravel and some other things, so that if you turned the can upside down, it sounded and felt like there was water and jalapenos in it, not Stop. cocaine. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. So, Sarah, here is my question for you. All that I've read about this case implies that it's a really, really, really big deal. There were 37 days of witnesses, boxes of evidence. Apparently, over his career, El Chapo smuggled in at least 200 tons of cocaine into the U.S. He is an alleged mass murderer. Why don't Americans care more about this story? Well, I think there are a lot of Americans who do care about this story, but it's not being... It's not in the news as much as you might think that it should be. El Chapo was like as infamous as, I mean, he was right under Osama bin Laden. Like this is the United States big catch, you know, and they got him alive and he's sitting on trial. Like it's 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 a big deal. Um, so I think one of the reasons is just that it's it's a closed court, so it's not televised. Well, these jurors don't want their face out there, right? A lot of the jurors are scared that like Chapo will eye them and know who they are and like go after them, no? Can I say one thing, though? Oh, yeah. I do feel like people care about this case, but they're the like the way that they care is something that I find really interesting. Like, like, I feel like people want the Netflix version of it, but don't necessarily tune in to the courtroom version of it. Well, I will say that during the trial, reporters and just like spectators, including the guy who plays El Chapo in the Netflix series, oh my God. have been waiting outside wow. of the courthouse since for like they start lining up and sleeping at two o'clock in the morning to try to get into the courthouse. Wow. So there are so people do care people, you know. Yeah. So next question, if he's convicted, does that like change everything about the drug trade or does life move on and someone else fills the role? Life moves on. I mean, the cartel has another leader, which they talked about a lot in court. And the defense or the prosecution kind of said, like, um, this guy named Mayo Zimbada, him and El Chapo are believed to be the co-leaders of the Sinaloa drug cartel. Some of Mayo's kids are in prison, some of Chapo's, like, but there's still someone leading the cartel. Yeah. Well. Wow. Julia, you're up next, but a heads up to our listeners first. If you're listening with kids right now, this section, we're going to talk about uh, some news that involves sex workers and sex trafficking. 
Julia, what are your three words? My three words are not nearly as um, like fascinating as Sarah's words. They are sex work struggle. That's because pretty fascinating. Uh, I mean, go I'm ahead. fascinated. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't have jalapenos, but um, basically I've been spending the past couple of weeks, I'm reporting on a, a story that is about um, FOSTA and SESTA, which are these two laws that came into effect in April of 2018 to prevent sex trafficking. It's the Stop Online Sex Trafficking Act is, mm-hmm. is SESTA. Um, but... These two laws, the the result is the the law is written so broadly mm-hmm. that platforms, as a way of like doing an abundance of caution, so that they don't have any possible liability, are just shutting down these yeah. networks that many sex workers say that they used to prevent uh, to keep themselves safe. Because basically, like if you were a sex worker, you would use a site like Backpage.com or Craigslist mm-hmm. Personals, yeah. and you would have ads, and you could like vet people before you met them. Exactly. But now so, like, I'm reading that like without those sites and that vetting, they're just on the street, and it's really right. riskier. Yeah, and I spoke to uh, a couple of economists about this, and people who study sex work and the like, sex trade in general. And essentially, what they say is that like this is probably going to force. Um, outdoor sex work. There's like indoor mm. sex work, which is where like you uh, vet somebody before you meet them. And the sort of pressure that uh, FOSTA and SESTA may be putting on sex workers is that they don't have that ability to vet people mm-hmm. until they are already out in the world confronting them. Yeah. And honestly, FOSTA and SESTA was a very popular... Um, Bipartisan. Nancy Pelosi was in on it. A lot of folks who are, like, uh, you know, presidential, the, the the early presidential hopefuls, like Cory Booker and Kamala Harris, uh, supported FOSTA and SESTA. Huh. And the, the sex worker community is like, you guys, yeah. <laughs> don't is even it? get it. So I saw a stat from uh, San Francisco's KPIX, That newsroom reported that human trafficking crimes are up 170% in San Francisco in 2018. And the reason is because sex workers are now working on the streets. And because of that, they need pimps. And a lot of folks think that jump is tied to these laws because it's pushed trafficking outside. Exactly. And it's the kind of thing where... You know, nobody wants all of this. Literally every sex worker that I've spoken to has also said, like, I don't want sex trafficking. Sex trafficking is really bad. I don't want any of that to happen. But everybody is also like, we have to figure out a way to legislate it so that it's not so broad that it affects people who are doing their jobs in an industry that is humongous. It is a huge industry that people feel icky sort of addressing and talking about. But... Um, you know, I don't know. Here we are. Well, and then also another weird wrinkle is that these two laws that you mentioned, they were originally written to protect children from sex trafficking. Yes. But they've ended up affecting adult sex workers much more than I think anyone thought. Right. Foster and Sester are written in a way that is so broad. So one of the examples is like, if you knowingly assist, support or facilitate advertising activity, that violates federal sex trafficking laws. So, like, the fact that it says assist, support, facilitate... It's really broad. That's where a lot of the folks who are calling these laws into question are are really, like, focusing their attention. Is there any talk of lawmakers working to possibly amend those laws? 
I think that that is something that really remains to be seen. Um, I spoke with a sex worker who went to D.C. to talk to Nancy Pelosi specifically and other lawmakers. But I have this wondering, I have this like question in my mind that like, are we able to address it if we're not really able to talk about it? Oh, yeah. You know? I can't imagine a committee on the on the Hill having <laughs> a really nitty gritty policy discussion about this stuff on C-SPAN. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I have, nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody. Oh, yeah. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests today, Julia Furlan, host and reporter at NPR, and Sarah Gonzalez, reporter for NPR's Planet Money. So, you guys, I have three words as well. Democratic Overton Window. Uh, do you guys know what the Overton Window is? No. So, it is this um, idea in political science um, that basically uh, refers to the range of ideas that we tolerate in public discourse. So, like, on any given day, there are certain things that are allowed to talk about in polite spaces or about politics, and good politicians are able to shift that window to their whims. We've seen Donald Trump do that a lot over the last few years, mm. and I argue that this week, uh, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, new House member uh, from the Bronx, she's doing the same thing. Um, I'm sure you all saw this week, she unveiled her Green New Deal plan. You saw that, right? Yeah. It's this big, long, sweeping treatise that um, she says will help um, the U.S. address climate change and prepare the U.S. economy to deal with that new reality. Uh, I'm going to just list really quickly what it calls for. They want to meet 100% of the power demand in the U.S. through clean, renewable and zero emission energy sources. They want to upgrade all existing buildings for energy efficiency. She says she wants to eliminate pollution and greenhouse gases, overhaul transportation systems, electric cars, guaranteed job with a sustaining wage for all families, high-quality health care for all Americans. It's this big deal. But then you realize it's just a resolution. Right. It's not even a bill. Mm-hmm. It's a messaging document. Yeah. And so now she has in the national conversation uh, some language in this Green New Deal where she says high speed rail should expand to the point where air travel becomes no longer necessary. Crazy. You know, I mean, like these are things that we were not talking about two years ago and all of a sudden we are. And I think that is AOC's probably clearest skill right now. She can set parameters of the debate in a way that I think Democrats haven't been able to do for a while. Right. So, okay. so a lot of critics have been saying, like, this is just what she wants to do. She hasn't put out any kind of like policy roadmap for how she would do it. And there's been some criticism about that. But like. This is step one. You say, like, this is what we want to do. And then, like, sure, you have to create some bills. And then those bills have to go through all their committees and pass the House and pass the Senate. And who knows when that's going to happen or if. But, like, this is the first step. The one thing that I find the most interesting is that although her style and presentation is different, a lot of the effectiveness of her communication style actually mirrors some of the things that Trump does. Like, Trump every day goes to the world and says, Today, we're talking about this. I don't care what you're talking about. We're talking about this. And AOC is also very good at doing just that. That's the Overton window, right? The Overton window. She's moving it, moving those windows. Yes. All right. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. Time for a break now. Coming up, we're going to head to Virginia and talk with a VA native about that state's week of crazy, bonkers, insane blackface news in the statehouse. Uh, So disappointing. This listener says that Virginia and race 
is much more complicated than you might think. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, helping NPR advance journalistic excellence in the digital age. How do we perceive our experience as humans? Who are we today and who could we be tomorrow? I'm Guy Raz. On the TED Radio Hour, we go on a journey through the big ideas that animate our world. Each week, it's the TED Radio Hour from NPR. We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests, Sarah Gonzalez, reporter for NPR's Planet Money, and Julia Furlan, host and reporter at NPR. Are the both of you ready for Valentine's Day? I don't know. I'm not a big Valentine's person. I mean, I love love. Uh I do too. Love is my favorite thing. Yes. Well, for those out in the world who are not ready for Valentine's Day or who, in fact, hate Valentine's Day, uh, there is a way to treat your ex on February 14th. Uh Uh-oh. Tell me more. Yeah. The El Paso Zoo has this program where people can submit the name of an ex to the El Paso Zoo's Facebook page, and then the zoo staffers will name a cockroach for your ex and then oh. feed it to their meerkats. A cockroach. Wow, that is like such a genius marketing <laughs> stunt. Like, mm-hmm. wow, congratulations. Yeah. That is. I did 12 yesterday. You did? No. Oh, good. That's great. <laughs> also, the Bronx Zoo is doing a name a roach program, but that costs. You can, like, pay to have a roach named after you or someone you care about. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Hold, pause. A roach, a cockroach named after you or someone you care about? Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> like, name a panda bear after me, <laughs> not a cockroach. I love it. I love it. All right. Now it's time for a segment that we call Long Distance, where we call up someone from around the country or around the world and talk with them about the news in their neck of the woods. Um, This week, the epicenter for crazy news has probably been Virginia. Am I right? Oh, my God. It's this weird story that keeps snowballing. Uh, I'm sure you guys have seen the headlines by now, right? Like, every day another one falls. Like So to catch up, (laughs) Virginia Governor Ralph Northam a Democrat, and Attorney General Mark Herring, also a Democrat, they both have admitted to wearing blackface. On top of that, uh, it also came out that the Republican Senate Majority Leader in Virginia, Tommy Norman, he was an editor for a yearbook back in the day that was filled with blackface and a lot of racist slurs. Then on top of that, Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax, another Democrat, he is facing allegations of sexual assault which he denies. Oh, it was a lot to even get out. So much. So much is happening. Also, we should say that we're taping this on Friday, so news may have changed by the time you hear this. But I wanted to talk about what the heck is going on in Virginia. So put a call out to our audience, and uh, a listener named Olivia hit us up to talk. She grew up in Virginia. She went to school in Virginia. She's the daughter of immigrants from Iran and Argentina. Now she lives in Colorado. But she said, hey, I've been in Virginia like over 20 years and I have some thoughts. Uh, We are not using her last name in this conversation because her parents still live in Virginia and they don't always feel safe as minorities in their community. Uh, But anyways, talk with Olivia and she basically told me race and politics in Virginia is much more complicated than you might think. Olivia, hi, how are you? I'm good, Sam. How's it going? Pretty good. You know, crazy news week per usual. Yeah, like, I don't know if there's a word for 
being disappointed and embarrassed at the same time, but that's how I feel. I am normally really proud to be from Virginia, but I feel like this week as the local just Virginia expert in my own circles, you know, I feel pretty bummed to see these headlines in the news. Yeah. So we put this call out asking to hear from Virginians about the news of this week in their state. And when you wrote to us, you said the first thing you have to understand about Virginia to really get Virginia is that there are two Virginias. Um, Tell me what you mean when you say that. Totally. Yeah. I grew up in a D.C. suburb, right? It's like the D.C. metro area. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's where I grew up, right? So when you leave Northern Virginia and you go down 95 or you go down 81, it's like a totally different world. You know, there's more agriculture. There's more folks who don't make a living working for the federal government or I don't know. Virginia's just got so many different microcosms and different kinds of people living there. Yeah. You know, one of the things you also told us is that your experience in both of these Virginias uh, is particularly interesting because you grew up as a child of immigrants with an international background, but you said you can kind of pass for white sometimes. I mean, one, tell me how that's allowed you to move through the state perhaps differently than other people. And have you learned stuff that you think you might not have about Virginians and race relations there that you might not have, you know, otherwise? Yeah, totally. Uh, I feel like, you know, as NPR calls it, it's code switching, right? Like (laughs) I'm able to code switch. And in some parts of Virginia, you know, I can pass as white. But yeah, when I first moved down to Richmond, I saw my first Confederate flags being waved by somebody. And that was one of those moments where I was like, oh, like, not going to be an easy situation down here. How do you ID yourself racially? I usually just stick to the countries and just say Mm -hmm. I'm Iranian Argentinian, but, you know, I hope I can just say American and not need to explain it more. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things that really made this story kind of hit me in the gut is that, like, it really underscores a question I think a lot of immigrants or people of color or minorities often ask themselves in their heads which is, what are nice white people saying about us or to, uh, when we aren't there? You know, what are the conversations white people have amongst themselves about us and what are we missing? And like seeing these instances of blackface, it just kind of makes me at least like second guess so many, you know, so many interactions and say like, What are they hiding from us? What are they hiding from me? And I think that's why it hits so hard for me, at least. Given your background, do you ever feel like you're in the room hearing, I don't know, stuff white people might say when they know other people aren't there? Oh, totally. I have had people say to my face, you know, oh, don't go to that bar. That's where the Latinas go or like the Latin people go. And I'm like, bruh, like I'm right here. Like, (laughs) I don't understand. Like a couple years ago, I had a very, you know, well-meaning white woman tell me that I I think I'd mentioned, you know, how climate change is going to be one of the biggest issues that our generation is going to face. And she turned to me and said, yeah, that and all the refugees. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Like my family's immigrants, you know, they had to come here 
and make a life for themselves because they are fleeing bad situations. Like I'm right here. Like I'm look like seriously right here. And yo, like look at my eyebrows. Like I'm probably <laughs> not from the same place you're from. And it's like, what are you saying when I'm not there? Yeah. You are, uh, you claim Virginia as your home state. I'm sure you love that state. A lot of people are talking about Virginia this week who are not from Virginia, not in Virginia. If you could talk to them as a good Virginian, what would you want them to know about Virginia? Oh, man. Uh, where do I start? Like, Virginia, I'm so lucky I got to grow up in Virginia. Um, it's the most diverse place I've ever lived in my life. And I've lived in New York City, San Francisco, Oakland. And I mean, there's just so much black excellence from Virginia from like, you know, Booker T. Washington to Missy Elliott. Like we got Missy Elliott, yo, like that's huge. We have Pharrell in Timbaland. <laughs> and like, I'm so yeah. like lucky that out of, <laughs> out of all the places that my parents chose to land, like I'm so grateful that they chose to take me to the one state that happens to have takeout kebab, you know, for Iranian yeah. food and also like all the Argentinian chorizo I could ever want in my life. So I love Virginia, just not right now. I hear you. All right. Besides this crazy story and thinking about that, what are your fun plans for the weekend? Um, if I'm being totally honest, me and my friend were going to watch these crazy fire festival documentaries just so we can see what it's like to see someone else's reputation go down in flames and not your own <laughs> state's. So. Oh, my goodness. Well, Olivia, thank you for being a long-suffering Virginian. And for sharing your story with us. Thank you, Sam. It's been awesome talking to you. It's so weird hearing that conversation back. Like, the way that she talked about Virginia kind of is how I feel about Texas. Mm -hmm. People have all of these misconceptions about my state or, like, often think the worst about my state. And I'm like, no, it's home. I'll always love it. And, like, I just love it. Yeah. I mean, it's just interesting the way that reporters respond to something like when pictures come out and then everyone just starts looking into Virginia and then you're like okay that guy too and then this guy maybe edited a yearbook that someone else had blackface in another page and the whole time I'm just like okay well what about like West Virginia and like South Carolina and all of the other places <laughs> or like, Boston which right, has a weird like, racial history and I don't think people think like Virginia has a problem with blackface it's it's, it's the, the country America that has a problem, has a problem with, with blackface and we're only focusing on Virginia right now every year you're going to see some high school kids pop up all across the country at some party in blackface and they're not going to just be in Virginia right and I I think that like one of the things that is so gripping about this story is how clueless the white folks have appeared to be in the moment where they're addressing it. Mm. Like the moment that really got me was the moment where Northam held a press conference to address the the blackface and said that he did another blackface and perf and said that he had put His on blackface. His denial was, I didn't do that blackface, I but did I did another. I know. And then he looks both ways and almost starts, Ooh. he's like, I'm going to moonwalk. Like some, no. Also, some reporter that asked him like asked whether or not he could still moonwalk. Because he was, was like, saying oh that God. he did the face darkening to look like Michael Jackson. Also, moral of the story, yearbooks are bad all around. <laughs> <laughs> they don't make anyone happier. Like, either you are shamed and shunned because the popular folks don't want to sign your yearbook, or Aww. there is some hidden double entendre in what they write in your yearbook, or there's blackface in it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's time for a break. When we come back, my favorite game, uh, it's called Who Said That? BRB. 
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Newman's Own Foundation, working to nourish the common good by donating all profits from Newman's Own food products to charitable organizations that seek to make the world a better place. More information is available at newmansownfoundation.org. Hey, it's Ophira Eisenberg from Ask Me Another. If you're craving nerdy trivia or celebrity interviews, we've got you covered. With house musician Jonathan Colton and the sharpest contestants in public radio, don't miss NPR's hour of puzzles, word games, and trivia. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests, Sarah Gonzalez, reporter for NPR's Planet Money, and Julia Furlan, reporter at NPR as well. Now it's time for my favorite game, Who Said That? Who said that? Who said Julia, Who you're said a, an old-timer at this game at this point. You can help explain it to Sarah. Tell her how it works. Basically, Sam takes three things that people have said in the last week, and it's a very intense game. Sada, are you ready? <laughs> I Listen, I listen to the show. I know what this game is. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And so then we have to guess who said it, but also the points are made up, and also... I am starting with 100 points, just wow. putting it out okay. there. Oh, all, all right. right. Rule all change. Right. <laughs> all right. So Julia starts with 100 points. Uh, the yes. great thing about whatever happens with the points <laughs> is that the winner gets absolutely nothing. Oh, right. Love yes, it. Yes, yes. All right. Here we go. Ready? There are no buzzers. Just yell it out. Okay. The first quote is, I made queso. Who said that? Oh, oh my God. Got him. Stumped y'all. Oh, no. Uh, I made queso. My friend Rachel actually said that <laughs> for the Super Bowl, but it's it probably not. It is tied to the Super Bowl. Oh, my God. Can I just tell you? It? Yeah, so, please just tell me. A Fox News host named Dana Perino, she tweeted a photo of queso she made during the big game and said, I made queso. But the queso looked nasty. You guys actually Google the words Dana Perino queso. I want you to see it. Okay. P-E-R-I-N-O. Okay. Oh, oh yeah. no, 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 you're no. Right. There's a lot of oil. <laughs> oh, yucca. Or something yucca. like that. So she tweets this photo Sunday. Everyone is like, oh my God, that's nasty. She <laughs> shoots back. She calls her haters elitist. Then she says, well, actually, don't hate on me. I got the recipe from Chili's, that restaurant chain. But then Chili's <laughs> tweeted a photo back of their queso, and they said, actually, it's supposed to look oh, like this. I love that. Yeah, I kind of feel bad for her. Yeah, no. I don't like picking on people. Yeah, did you guys watch the game? I did not. No. But I did watch for the commercials. The commercials were kind of a disappointment this year. Cardi was in one. Cardi, yeah, but she had like one word. Oh, she I got didn't watch okr. It. That's all she <laughs> That's said. a good word. That's it's a, a great good word. word. <laughs> can I do that? Okr. Oh, I can do okr. it. Okr. Oh, Money. you can roll your R's Money. very well. I'm Congrats. from I'm from Texas, girl. Oh, you're okay. honorary Latino. <laughs> uh, y'all got zero points for that. It's fine. No, I have a hundred. Oh, you okay? Yeah, you have a hundred <laughs> okay, points. Julia has a hundred. Yeah. I have zero. Yeah. Ready next for the next question. quote? All right. Here's the next quote. May the afterlife turn out to be a series of never-ending Fox News interviews. Who or oh what God. said that? Oh my God. It involves a politician. Why am I so bad at that this week? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Wait. Mm, mm, mm. He's a Republican senator from Nebraska. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm really to trying this. <laughs> We're going to cheat. Ben Sass. Ben Sass. Oh. Ben Sass. So, Republican Senator Ben Sass has been tweeting this week these fortune cookies he's been getting. Uh, someone <laughs> anonymous 
has been emailing him fortune cookies that have like mini <laughs> wow. hate mail inside of the fortune cookie. That's wow. real creepy. So one said, quote, may the afterlife turn out to be a series of never ending Fox News interviews. Wow. Another fortune cookie uh, said that it hoped that Sass finds himself trapped in an elevator with people who are angry at him. Wow. Ben Sass, for his part, has uh, been taking this in stride. He's posted some funny photos of himself with these fortune cookie messages. Yeah, I feel like, listen, if you're going to send hate mail, like, if it's not like, don't send. First do of all, one, don't, don't send, send it. Okay. First of all, don't do it. If you're going to do it, do it in a normal yeah, way, like creepy. a regular email. Don't create fake fortune cookies. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that does stop. Anyway, yeah. uh, last quote. It's also, this. it's just really hard this week. This last quote's also hard. Oh, no. But I'm sorry. Um, here we go. Ready? Quote. <laughs> We will work together with partners so you can actually lease your furniture. When that leasing period is over, you hand it back and you might lease something else. What corporation said that? Wow. Jerome's. Whose furniture would you least want to lease? Um, I mean, is it Ikea? Yeah. <gasps> <laughs> oh, they're going to lease? Ikea furniture? Isn't that nasty? <laughs> I mean, I- Ikea furniture doesn't seem like leasable. Thank you. So that quote actually comes from the head of Inter-Ikea. This is Ikea's brand and concept arm. Uh, he made, he announced this week that Ikea will soon start leasing its furniture. No. Um, I just want the, <laughs> the Swedish meatballs. That is why. I, some days I'll just go to Ikea for the Swedish meatballs. I also very enjoy the Swedish meatballs, but Ikea is such a place of stress that I can't even consider Not it. if you just go to the cafeteria <laughs> that's I a happy place right. that's a happy place i guess place. you're right uh anyway i am not gonna say i'm disappointed i'm disappointed but... <laughs> in I myself re- i really should have gotten the ikea one <laughs> well Listen, julia just... got it and she won congratulations oh, julia that's the you know i really were it's an honor just to be nominated <laughs> <laughs> All right, now it's time to end the show. As we do every week, we ask our listeners to share with us the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. Anjali, hit the tape. Hey, Sam, this is Eric. Hey, this is Mike. Best part of my week was getting to tell my best friend that my wife and I are pregnant. (laughs) I knew it! (laughs) Hi, Sam. This is Allison from New York City, and the best part of my week was starting my path towards fulfilling an 18-year-old dream by getting into med school. I just found out that I passed the third of four CPA exams. Only one more to go. The best part of my week was celebrating four years with my beautiful partner, Mia. Hi, Sam. This is Veronica, and the best part of my week has been reuniting with my friends, Brenna and Michelle, in Marrakesh, Morocco. We served together in the Peace Corps in the Dominican Republic a couple of years ago and decided we needed to take a much overdue adventure. Hi Sam, this is Vanessa. A week and a half ago, I adopted a very skittish kitten I named Artemis from a local rescue. After hiding under my couch for the last 12 days, she finally let me hold her. This is Melissa from Columbia, Missouri. And the best thing that happened to me this week is to watch my son and former student be married at Walt Disney World on Monday. Hi Sam, this is Madeline and Mary Fran. The best part of our week was having a massive snowball fight on top of Roan Mountain State Park in Tennessee with 13 of our closest friends. Hope your weekend is as fun as ours and you too can pelt your friends in the face with snow. Lovingly, of course. Bye. Bye. Peace and adios. Have a great week. Thanks. Bye. 
I think we heard someone find out for the first time about that pregnancy in there. Did you hear that? That was my favorite one. It was beautiful. so special. (laughs) Thanks to Eric and Mike, Allison, Stephen, Chris, Veronica, Vanessa, Melissa, and Madeline and Mary Fran. All right, listeners, we take submissions for the best thing all week, every week, all the time. Let that be you. Send me the sound of your voice to samsanders at npr.org. Just record yourself and send the audio file to samsanders at npr.org. All right, it's time to shut this one down. We're going to go out on a band that might have a very big weekend, Greta Van Fleet, up for Best New Artist at this weekend's Grammys. This band is so good, y'all. And the thing I hate about it is that, like, websites like Pitchfork are, like, hating on them because they're like, oh, these kids sound too much like Led Zeppelin. I was going to say, but you know what? I'm into it. But there's, like, a little bit of cranberries in there. There's, like, a little, like, yodel that I'm down. Also, what's wrong with sounding like Led Zeppelin? They're great. Exactly. Cranberries are my go-to karaoke song. That's, I mean, it's a good one, but I also feel like there's like an automatic rejection of male falsetto Mm. that, you know, we should really interrogate. Preach. (laughs) I'm here for it. (laughs) This week, the show was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry. Uh, Steve Nelson is our director of programming. Our editors are Jordana Hochman and Alex McCall. We had editing help this week from my friend, Mathoni Maturi. Our big boss is NPR's senior VP of programming, Anya Grundman. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. <laughs>